a feast has to be, of course, a potluck. It cannot all rest on one family to do all of the cooking, all the preparation. Everyone needs to bring something. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it talks about in a gathering, different people bring different things, their, their own spiritual gifts. Well, we really reenact that or pre-enact that in, in the meal before the gathering by bringing things together to feast on together. And so we want to be, be doing that. We want to be thinking about ways in which we, we can really make a great meal to, to enjoy with each other. You know, what kinds of food and drink is really going to create that atmosphere? You want people to bring those things. Welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called A House for Community, where we provide households with personal coaching for how to build a community and turn your home into a hub for community relationships. So if you're interested in learning more about A Thousand Houses or checking out some of our other resources, visit 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. When it comes to understanding how the early church got together, what the rhythms were like, my favorite, just one verse to try to encapsulate the whole thing, definitely is Acts 2.42, where we read, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These were the things that they really enjoyed. A teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Again, the relationship was at the center. How did they do that? Sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so we want to just take some time and talk about this practice of eating together. Why is it so central? Why did they do it? Why do we so rarely do it uh, in today's church? Because this is, this is an area that clearly was so basic and central to the way that the early church even thought about getting together. It was always food, food, table, table. That was the way they thought. And this has really changed ever since the early church fused with the Roman religion. Uh, there was about you know, three, 400 AD. A lot of things changed in terms of these rhythms. A lot of them were, uh, were, were done away with. And so uh, let's talk about what, like, what, was, what is this experience like today? Like how, how have we often experienced this? And it isn't that we don't have any connection to the Lord's Supper. We all do. Um, in fact, probably every person who's a Christian who's, who's watching this right now, you've, you've taken communion. You've experienced the Lord's Supper. Um, but something has really shifted. And um, I, I think that, that no single picture better encapsulates the, the way that things have shifted than those geniusly engineered little communion cups that sometimes you get handed when you walk into a worship service, those ones that have the juice on the bottom and the kind of layer of cellophane and then the little cracker and then another layer. And so then they kind of walk you through the whole process of how to like you know, piece this thing uh, apart so that you can, you know, take that little wafer and drink that little shot glass of grape juice. And uh, sometimes when I'm sitting there in a in a worship service with this little thing, listening to, uh, you know, the, the the leader kind of walk me through the process of, you know, disentangling this so I can enjoy communing with my brothers and sisters around me, um, I often wonder if, if Paul were to suddenly, you know, uh, arrive from the past into this present worship service, how, what would he think of this moment? And um, 
And, and one one day when I was really you know pondering that, I kind of I kind of worked through in my own head a thought experiment that helped me try to figure out like maybe what he was what he would be feeling uh, seeing this 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 change in the way that we we eat together. Um, and so uh, let's start with this thought experiment. Okay, so imagine uh, your family is uh, just is absolutely uh, just crushes the, the Christmas season. It's an amazing experience of, of, of unity. And every year you get together and on Christmas Day, you have this epic family dinner. Everything is almost always perfect. It's like the smells and the sounds. You're hearing the, the, the Christmas music. Everything's decorated and, you know, red and green. And you have that perfectly moist turkey that's brought out at the right time. The eggnog is flowing. And just the whole, the whole experience just feels like beautiful and relaxed. And it just, it's designed for for feeling like you're together as a family, that you're united as a family, that, that, that this, is, this is where you belong. You just feel at home, maybe in that moment more than anywhere else in your whole year. Okay, so just hold that in your mind. And imagine uh, kind of going forward into the future, you know, two, 300 years into the future, and your family has multiplied. You know, your little tribe of maybe 15 people that was at Christmas, you know, today is now thousands of people. And so you, uh, on December 25th, 300 years later, walk into a giant hall of all your descendants. And again, there's thousands of them there. And they're all sitting in rows. And it's December 25th, and you look around, and there's trees and beautiful Christmas music playing, and there's green and red on all the walls. And, and somebody at the top of the stage, you know, gets up in front of everyone and says, you know, welcome to Christmas dinner, everyone. Um, I hope you got your little piece of, uh, your little shot glass of eggnog and your little strip of turkey. So we're going to enjoy Christmas dinner right now. So, like, everyone, let's eat together. This is our Christmas dinner. And everyone would eat their turkey and take their shot of eggnog. And it would be like, yay, and that would be it. And, you know, you're kind of like, what is going on? What, what happened to these people? You, you like, imagine you're running up to, the, to that leader and saying, hey, hey, this isn't it. This is not Christmas dinner. And he, he looks at you and says, what, what, what's, what's missing? I mean, you know, what, what did you guys do back in, you know, back in your day? Like, was there Christmas music? Yeah. Well, was there red and green de decorations? Yeah. Turkey? We have turkey. Yeah, we had turkey. We have turkey. How about eggnog? You know, we have eggnog. You guys had eggnog. We, we have all of it, right? What's missing? And the question of what is missing is really the, 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 the heart of where we need to go in understanding what this kind of reduction of what the Lord's Supper was designed to be has done to the body. Because whatever you would put on that list of things that have shifted from today in that perfect, you know, that, that sort of idyllic picture of what a Christmas dinner could be in a family, in a, in a home, and what it could also be in a giant hall with thousands of people, what is being reduced there is what is being lost today. And what a lot of those elements are is what we're going to be working to re-inject, re re-invitalize in these meals that we're having with our brothers and sisters in Christ in our homes. Uh, and restoring that is what we're all about. And so I want to think about this kind of from two different, two different angles. You know, Jude talks about this as a love feast. And so I want to talk about what a feast is, and then I want to talk about why he calls it a love feast, which is, you know, every time I hear that phrase, and we don't use it today because it just would conjure up immediately like, 
images of hippies or something um, because it's, it seems too almost idyllic, but that's what they called it. And we need to really grapple with why they called it that and why we would never use that kind of language today. And so let's talk about, first of all, um, what is involved in a feast. Now, this whole Lord's Supper was being seeded initially into a Jewish culture that was extremely familiar with how to feast. One of the things that Jewish people in the first century knew how to do was how to feast. They had a Shabbat dinner every single week. They had three pilgrimage festivals where they would go on a journey with their family to Jerusalem and with millions of other people surrounding Jerusalem. They would have a giant camp out three times a year again. Like one Sukkot would last often, you know, a whole week where they would stay in that area. Uh, and so and during that time, they would have a feast. They also knew how to do wedding feasts that would last an entire week where every single evening the feast would. So you can imagine the life of a typical Jewish person uh, in the first century with three pilgrimage feasts, with five other uh, or four other festivals that they would enjoy, that they would do at home. Uh, wedding feasts that would last a week, and Sabbath dinners that were like feasts that they would happen every single week. These guys were really good at feasting. And so, um, and we, for us, it's a little bit hard because we might have one or two feasts a year that we enjoy. Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving are the two that are typical in our culture. Um, and so let's talk about what a feast could look like. And so we want to make this sustainable and, and kind of walk you guys through every, every element. So the first element often is, is it, a feast has to be, of course, a potluck. It cannot all rest on one family to do all of the cooking, all the preparation. Everyone needs to bring something. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it talks about in a gathering, different people bring different things, their, their own spiritual gifts. Well, we really reenact that or pre-enact that in, in the meal before the gathering by bringing things together to feast on together. And so we want to be, be doing that. We want to be thinking about ways in which we, we can really make a great meal to, to enjoy with each other. You know, what kinds of food and drink is really going to create that atmosphere? You want people to bring those things. In the festivals, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah actually describes that one of the elements of the tithe in Deuteronomy 14 was to make sure that families had enough money to set aside, again, this was part of that 10% tithe that they were giving to the Lord. They actually would invest a portion of that a large portion of that into these feasts, into these festivals. And God actually says not only into the food, but also into the drink. And then he uses the word strong drink, which is whatever is stronger than wine. And so they were really creating a partying atmosphere in Deuteronomy 14 uh, with their tithe money to make sure that what was experienced in the spiritual gathering was, was a real, was festival joy. And so that's what they were trying to create. And so a feast is trying to create that, that kind of that festival vibe of like, this is fun, we're relaxed, we have good food, we have good drink. And so that's a big deal. And then the second thing we want to do, and this is something that Paul hammers in 1 Corinthians 11, is that you must remember that this is a body. And so part of what has to be done at the beginning of these gatherings or these meals and these, fest, these love feasts is you need to proclaim uh, the goodness of the Lord, the gospel, right? So typically how we do this is we gather people together um, and we say, hey guys, we're going to get together. We're, you know, let's talk about why we're here. And then the second thing is we start, we distribute the, the bread. Um, and so everybody gets it. The way we like to do it is we give a chunk of bread to the head of every household and then to anyone else who's there. Because if there's younger children, we want those fathers to make that decision uh, or whoever's heading their household. The, ne the next thing we do is somebody, whoever is doing that distribution is going to preach the gospel very short, 
Um, and the gospel, it can be, you know, just going over why Jesus died on the cross. But one of the things we've been learning to do lately is because many of us are spending time in, and we talk about this in the discipleship course, um, about really studying the ways of Jesus. We will just, we will tell a story about Jesus and remember why, why the gospel is central to who we are together. Um, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10 when he describes the fact that, and though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. And so one of the things that we often do is we'll bring out one loaf. Of, why, why are we all eating from one loaf of bread? Because we're one body. This is dis- helping the body to discern itself, to discern the body while you are uh, beginning this process of communion. Um, last night when we had a, a gathering and a, um, a, fest- a, a love feast, we started with our uh, gospel presentation. And, and what I did was just, uh, we had been talking as a family about how crazy it is that Jesus called us friends. And even though we gather with people that may not be the people that are at our exact same stage of life, um, these are people that we have chosen to be in community with. And so Jesus decided to leave, you know, his peers, you know, in the Godhead and come down and be with us and spend three years, oftentimes very frustrated with his disciples. But at the very end of that time, he said, you are my friends. I'm going to, I'm going to become friends with you. I'm going to really, even though, again, this, these are not guys he would normally be friends with, but these are people he developed deep friendships with. How did that happen? And so we, we reminded uh, the, our community that, that, that we are building friendships here um, and that what, one of the greatest signs of the kingdom of God is that when you see people becoming friends that would otherwise never be friends. And so when we talked about, you know, what does Jesus' life and death mean for our community, and what is the gospel, what is the good news of what Jesus came to bring, um, we want to, like, taste and really experience that together. And so that's what we're doing in the, kind of the gospel. Then we give thanks for the food, and then we eat. Um, and so those are the basic elements. Now, during the eating time, uh, you know, part of what we're trying to do is you're at a table, and, and what this really suggests is, is community, is fellowship. And so you need to engage with people. You need to look around at the crowd of people or whoever's there and ask, like, am I connected to everyone? Who do I feel least connected to right now in this group? I, wanna, I definitely want to make a point to go and say, how are you doing? How is your week? What's going on with you? Like making those connections. If somebody's struggling, does somebody need to help with their kids? Like, like we, we're there to act like a family and to make those kinds of connections, to catch up, to have fun, to relax with each other over, the, over food. And that's what, that's what food is really designed to do and be. Now you can take the cup um, also before, um, right after you know, do, do the bread, or you can do the cup after the meal. Um, and so we've been experimenting with both. In the Lord's Supper, a lot of people don't realize this, but Jesus broke bread at the beginning, but then took the cup at the end, the cup that, that he set aside as the new, new cup of the covenant. And so you can say at the end of a meal, like, guys, let's take a minute and, like, you know, we're, we've been relaxing. You know, we're going to clean up in a minute. But before we do that, we want to remember the gospel again. Like, let's tell the gospel story again. Let's remember. And sometimes, you know, in the early church, they would actually toast, Maranatha, Lord, come soon. Now, at the, kind of the height of their festival or their feast time when they would gather together. So you could do that if you like. Um, none of this, by the way, you guys, is, is by way of saying here's the only way to do it. There are lots of ways that you might want to experiment with. Some of the values are really important to hold on to, but how you do this is really something you're going to need to figure out, but we want to give you guys a lot of different ideas. And so, uh, and then I, I would say the last thing is really important to clean up together. Uh, one of the, one of the, the least ways to, to really feel like as a hosting family you're experiencing uh, the goodness of the body is to be left after a love feast all alone, you know, at 10.30 at night or 11 o'clock cleaning the kitchen. Like, 
that is not a good idea. And so a basic thing that we always make sure we do is, hey, guys, let's take five minutes, 10 minutes and just clean up. Um, and so people, we come together and that can be a great part of what it means to be a body. You're, again, you're going to see people's gifts come out, their experience of those things. And so we want to we wanna have that uh, together. And so that's the, the feast part of the love feast. But let's talk uh, real briefly about the love part. So when you're there, what makes this a love feast and not just a feast? Um, and so some of the things that I think are really important is, um, like I mentioned, it's really important to spend that time uh, wisely and, and really be connecting with people, catching up to people, um, serving each other. Is there, an, is there an opportunity to serve somebody there that, that may need to be served? Listen to each other. Enter into each other's stories. What's going on? Like, I really take the time to listen. Learn uh, what's going on uh, in each other's lives. And then also just take notes. If there are things that you're hearing uh, during the meal that are like, wow, that sounds like a really challenging thing. Like, take note of that. That could be a really critical thing to bring into the gathering and pray for. That could be a really critical thing to bring into the week and, like, actually follow up on. Um, you can discover a way that you can love or serve each other better. And so this kind of opportunity just to have a, have a eating time gives you that chance to, like, pick up on all of those nuances and then use your gifts and, and have other people use their gifts to just bless each other. But we need that time to just interact and be together and enjoy each other around uh, around the table. So what are some next steps? The first thing I, got, I think is important for you guys is to decide to commit to the practice of eating together, to understand that the essence of fellowship is the kind of relationships that are developed through continual regular meals together. This is so important. Um, and then I think it's important to, to cast the vision of who we are becoming. And this is what Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians 11. Guys, this is not what Jesus had in mind when you guys are getting drunk or eating before one another. Remember what Jesus had in mind. He wanted us to be one body, right? He wanted to discern the body. He died so that this community could come to life. Like, let's enjoy that and let's honor the gospel in the way that we get together. And so I want you guys to think about in these two elements of feasting and, and the love part, which, which one of these is more difficult for you? Are you struggling with the nuts and bolts of what it means to, to really have a feast? Um, and, and so what does that look like for you? Are you struggling with the nuts and bolts or the, the actions or the attitude, uh, the disposition for it to be about love, um, about how are we really creating that experience of, of belonging that you might experience in that kind of idyllic sort of uh, Christmas gathering as a family. So whatever that looks like for you, um, take some time, journal through, where are the things that you feel like are gonna be challenging for you um, what are some of the gifts you might need to rely on as you try to pull off um, one of these Lord's suppers? You can call it communion, Lord's supper, potluck dinner, love feast, whatever you're going to, whatever kind of phrase you're going to put on it. And uh, let's begin to talk uh, more about this with each other in our coaching meetings. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you and your family are sensing any kind of calling or a pool to maybe go down this path in community, we'd love to be a resource to you as you explore this. So if that's you, we want to invite you to join our coaching intensive called A House for Community, where we're going to combine online content and personal coaching for you to provide you with the teaching and the tools and definitely the encouragement that you're going to need to see your home become a house for healthy kingdom relationships. For more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash community coaching. We'll see you guys for the next episode.